0: Welcome to the Digication Scholars Conversation Series. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. In this episode, you'll hear part one of my conversation with Laurie Pierce from DePaul University. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of the Digication Scholars Conversation Series can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. Okay, well, welcome, Laurie Pierce. Uh, it hey. is so great to meet you, uh, even though it is all virtual these days. But uh, I have been hearing so much about you, and I don't know if you knew this, but <laughs> I have um, come across your two of your students' work, mm-hmm. and they both graduated, I believe, last year. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, uh,
0: Jack McNeil and Michaela Clark, mm-hmm. and I came across their portfolios actually just mm-hmm. I was just literally browsing uh, looking for you know yeah you know, I don't know I don't know what it was it might have been social media or something and I came across their portfolios and I was so fascinated by it the topic was we can talk more about the topic in a minute yeah. um the topic was so great and I ended up just reaching out to them I almost never do this but I just reached out to them yeah, and yeah. I said I said I emailed and I said I'm Jeff. You don't know me. Um, I saw your portfolio and and I I'm fascinated by it. Congratulations, uh, and um, I also said, hey, if you would ever want to chat about this, I'd love to learn more about your experience. Oh, good. And good. they both contacted me back. And, oh, good. And provided some of the most inspiring conversations that I've had, and I I. And during those conversations, both of them had said such good things about, oh well, you should see what my professor is doing in his in her class.
1: And I said, Oh, who you is picked this the right two, two. You picked the
0: right yeah, <laughs> oh, Is that right? So I said, Who who is this professor? And and they said it's Laurie Pierce. And and uh so I I reached out to actually my contact at DePaul University mm-hmm. where you teach. And uh and uh, Sarah Brown whom I've mm-hmm. worked with for many years and uh, and I told her that I you know had this amazing experience with these two graduates from DePaul and and she said oh you gotta you gotta meet Laurie and <laughs> so there there we go again and so I I thought you know we've got to get you um, you know on this and um, and so here's here's the sort of the the, the context to how um, how this came to be. And welcome to the Digication Scholars Conversations.
1: Thank you. I, you picked the right two students to talk to. I'm not sure everybody would have had that same response, but, you know, we'll see.
0: Well, um, from what I learned from them, I thought it was, you know, it was really, you know, fascinating. Um, we can talk about lots of things, but you know, one of the first things in my mind
1: mm-hmm.
0: was uh, uh, was that in each of for both of them uh, in their program, they both have to do a capstone project,
1: right?
0: And that's where they took your class, mm-hmm.
1: right? Yeah.
0: You want to tell us a little bit about that program, just as an intro, so sort of what you teach and what the program is about, um, and 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 maybe talk about this idea of the capstone project.
1: Yeah. The um, everybody at DePaul, all the students at DePaul, it's part of the, you know, kind of the liberal studies program. So they have a certain series of things that they're supposed to do. And every major has some version of a capstone so um you know our learning outcomes say the entire university has to participate in this so every department every college has different ways of doing this they're supposed to do it in their last year some do it in a quarter some do it in two quarters they do it across a year um, most of the time the courses are offered um, for one quarter only so our in um, african and black diaspora studies ours is one quarter all the majors have to take it Sometimes minors like to take it. There's some flexibility in terms of, you know, different majors. I had a theater major contact me yesterday and she said it was okay. Their theater uh, uh, school said it was okay for her to take our, our capstone. So it's it's kind of flexible. It doesn't have one set thing. In ABD, what we've, um, I started teaching the class four or five years ago. And what originally the, the goal is to create some piece of research, right? Is to give these students a chance to kind of bring together their entire, you know, all the work that they've done in ABD and maybe in other classes and do some form of some kind of a research project that typically takes place in the form of, you know, a, you know, a, a standard 15, 20 page paper. Um, I started to think about doing it differently because when you say 15 to 20 page paper to students, their eyes roll around in their head and they it, it's very intimidating because, and mostly because they don't get many chances to do it. Again, quarters, ten weeks—we just don't have time to engage in sus- that kind of sustained research. So my intention was, my go, my idea was, if we could find a way to use um, some online surf, some online platform. And at the time, you know, I didn't know anything about education. I knew it existed, but I didn't know how people are using it. So I thought maybe if—is there a way to take some kind of platform so that they can? You know, break out of the idea that they have to write a, you know, a big research paper, still do the work, but find a different way to present it. Um, Part of the learning goal for the class is that they have to make a presentation of some kind. And typically what we've done is just, you know, they stand and deliver like, you know, any academic in front of any audience. So, but my thought was, well, we have these, we have blogs, we have all access to all of this. Why not? Why are we doing this the same way? Why? Just because this is how we were trained to do an academic presentation. Why can't we do something different? So, so I decided to um, when I found out I talked to Sarah about digication and kind of looked to see what you know what was being what it was being used for, and I just took a chance. A lot of the students use digication in like WRD in the um, their first year. I don't think they get the best experience with it because it become it's just kind of they just put stuff on the on the on the platform. So I don't think it's getting used to its fullest potential so i took a chance on it this was two years ago i just thought well let's just see what happens you know we engage in the same process they still have to do the research they still have to do the writing but they also have to find a way to present it that's more creative and make somebody else want to look at it um you know academic work is not usually what people want to see most people don't want to read the stuff that we write if rightly so but if you come across somebody's website and it can be about anything And if it's exciting, engaging, and it draws you in and it teaches you well, well, you know, that's what scholarship is supposed to be about. You're supposed to be engaging multiple communities. You're supposed to be able to take your research and have it have some kind of impact on somebody else. And a 15-page paper that they write and then, you know, never see again. It's like, well, who cares about that? So that's, so I'm still trying to figure out, we haven't figured it out quite yet, but what what Michaela and Jack did were, pretty close. They were getting closer to what I wanted to see, just to kind of see how it worked for them.
0: Well, just to, there are a couple of of things that you said that almost was chilling for me because, (laughs) and do you know why? Because I think it was Jack who told me exactly that (laughs) this is so much better than a 15-page
1: paper. Okay, he good. He
0: probably wrote 15 pages anyway.
1: Oh, he probably wrote way more than <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <Jack. laughs> I had so, to keep training him in. It's like stop writing, Jack.
0: So it's it's kind of amazing because you I mean, you set out to do that. I I get what you mean by not necessarily every student will maybe I did find, you know, luckily then some some of your your star students here, mm-hmm. but maybe not everyone would have put it that level of effort. Mm-hmm. Um but it it worked, you know, your, your, your intention actually worked. And, you know, the other part of the intention that, that worked is that someone does look at it. I did. Yeah. That's how I found it.
1: It's just out there. Right. And right. anybody can find it. So. Yeah.
0: That's fascinating. That's, that's amazing. Uh, and I, I must say that uh, as a, you know, as someone who's been working with, the education for a long time, and uh, it is really gratifying to see someone having this kind of insight and using it to this kind of degree, and then seeing these results. Uh, I, I was, um, I was, when I was talking to them, they told me about this capstone project. Both of them did. Really fascinated by the whole concept of the capstone project it's something that I believe in deeply and mm-hmm. I think we've seen a lot of schools when they do it well it's very successful mm-hmm. and there's a part of the pedagogy that I I just love and I want to maybe get your take on this um, one thing that I think it was Michaela who told me was um, by the time because I noticed that both of them do they're completely different Topics. Michaela was, um, you know, researching on I believe it was urban um, uh, African art. Yeah. Um, and Jack was doing Black pro- prosecutors mm-hmm. in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it, you know, this is not this may not have been the same class altogether. If you're yeah. in a traditional class, if you will, right? Right. And so, um, I want to explore that a little bit because. What they told me was um, by the time they, they, they started the Capstone project, they both felt like that um, they already know a lot about some aspect of what they've studied in the mm-hmm. last several years. Yeah. And so it's, it's really a time where they can dive into some areas of focus deeply and, and work on that. Yeah. And that's not an opportunity that all undergraduate students get to have right. in other schools. Yeah. So um, you said that this is, you know, all over. You know, for all of the Paul. Um,
1: yeah. That's well. That's everybody made. does
0: we'll talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. yeah the capstone we'll is. Yeah. yeah, it functions differently for everybody, and I think um, I wouldn't say for sure, but I don't think most programs have them do this kind of a research project. I think the way the learning outcome is, you know, they're supposed to be, we regularly violate our learning outcomes, I'll be honest, Um, but it's supposed to be something that helps them to kind of reflect on their experience and then think about how they're going to, you know, use this in the world. So, or into their, you know, into their career. So we, so sometimes, you know, it's just you know, a seminar, people sitting around. I don't really know how other people do it. It, To me, it seemed like a waste not to give students the opportunity to just do whatever they wanted to do. Um, You know, it's only 10 weeks. There's only so much trouble they can get into. Okay. There's only so much trouble they can get into. And some of them are just dying to say something else, right? They take all these classes and you know, nobody has ever engaged them on the topic that they were interested in, or they started to get interested in a topic. I had a student in that same class. Uh, he was in health sciences, and he had started a project where they were talking about um, black health health disparities in the African American community, and he didn't get a chance to finish it. So he took the capstone and was able to kind of work through some of the things. Didn't it wasn't great but it was, you know, he got to finish what he wanted to start, what he started. Um and there you're right. Most undergraduates don't get a chance to do that anymore. I did it when I was a senior in, you know, in high in college you know, way back in the 20th century. Um, And we just made something up. And then it was your job to find the resources, find your, you know, your sponsors. We we just made it up. So the trick with them is that they're so used to thinking in a kind of confined way, right? You know, the teacher gives you the prompt and you do A, B, and C, and then you get graded on whether you actually accomplish that. So, you know, a lot of times they walk into the capstone, it's like nobody's ever told them, to just do whatever they want. So sometimes you know it's taken a week or two or three weeks for them to really, no, I mean it, do whatever you want to. No, 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 you can do. It doesn't have to be something that I'm interested in. So it only has to do with African and Black diaspora studies somehow, something they've learned, something they want to know more about. So, um, so yeah, this is, I try to think of it or encourage them to think freely and creatively. And the point of using Um, the online platform using education was it could also break them out of the mold of thinking it had to be a paper, right? So you go into websites now and it's everywhere, you know, you go in and you look and see, you know, things are, um, you know, they don't go in a linear fashion, right? So you can read a website out of linear fashion. I just am interested in this image or this person who's talking about this. Nothing online moves in that fashion unless you make it a linear process so and you know that can that's good news and bad news you don't necessarily get the flow of everything but it also gives you a chance to think about many things at once without having to worry about how they're connected or how closely they're connected so if you're writing a paper and you go off on a tangent it's like this is really fascinating but i can't explore it because it doesn't fit my thesis and with this it's like okay just put it in a different box right? You just put it under a different tab, stuff I was interested in, but didn't get a chance to talk about. And because, you know, you're free to do that. There's absolutely no reason why you can't do that. Because, you know, I'm not grading what you did or didn't. I'm not grading what you didn't accomplish. I'm grading, you know, how far you were able to explore whatever it was that you did. Sometimes it's a mess. It's like, oh my God, you got interested in way too much stuff. But it's, you know, if they have a chance to kind of play with it, you know, to me, that's that's more gratifying for them as students than it is if they, you know, wrote a thesis that somebody would then publish in some student academic journal, and you know, blah blah blah. So, I
0: I, I totally agree. I uh, I feel like I really just found my tribe here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I have um some of, you know, the, one of the, one of the early visions of education was based on some of the experience that um i had uh when i was teaching and also being a student at an art and design school Mm -hmm. at at rhode island school of design right right and and uh this whole idea of having students do their own projects was sort of built in for us you know sort of day one because that's all we have we can do yeah yeah (laughs) um and and um, there, I I had a fascinating conversation with uh, the president of the of the college um, a couple of years ago, and and they actually um, it was based on a book that they actually ended up writing as a as a, a faculty and a school. Yeah, and it was about um, critical making, which is sort of almost like a. Um, uh, uh, a reaction to everyone talking about critical thinking so much, uh-huh. but that in their world, critical making includes critic able to ask questions as well as answering them. And I do think a lot of the times in a lot of perhaps more restrictive courses, um, it's all, a lot about we ask the questions, you get to do the answers. And if you can do the answers all is good. Yeah. Um, but and you
1: got to get the right answer. Don't get right, the right Right,
0: answer. right, right. right. Um, but asking the question is just as fascinating. I mean, looking at the work from Jack and Michaela, I mean, mm-hmm. it's beautiful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's, I mean, I, I, it's one of my favorite things. And the thing that we do pretty poorly was teaching students how to ask a good question. I used to have a list of, you know, questions that, you know the difference between a good question and a bad question, and you know I always tell them at the end. It's like the best question is so what. It's like how do you get all the way to the end of this? And so what? Tell me why that matters, or you know because they're not used to thinking you're right that they have answers too right or that they can't propose a question so it's so you know i feel the high school teacher kind of squeezing down around them what's the answer what's the answer so it's no it's no wonder that they have a hard time coming up with questions they can kind of but if you take them out of that environment they have all kinds of questions they have all kinds of you know crazy things that they do it's like where did you come up with that idea it's like yeah it wasn't yeah. it wasn't in school so it doesn't count it's like <laughs> that's the most important thing right, right. so trying to make them feel like they can bring those two things together something they's totally off the wall and then take it into the classroom and you know that's your question go find the answer or just keep asking more questions you can just cuz you have a question doesn't mean you have to answer it doesn't mean you have to answer it right now. And it might be, you know, if you come up with an answer, it might be the wrong answer. You might have to, you know, yeah, we get stuck on this whole kind of, you know, if you're in math, you can do that. There is definitely a right answer and a wrong answer in a math class, but in the humanities, that's crazy. That's insane.
0: Yeah. I, um, I'm i also, I'm interested in so many things that you're talking about. Uh, I felt like my mind is just going all over the place, but let me try to focus and ask you something that I I, I absolutely want to learn about, mm-hmm. um, specifically in the context of the um, subject matter, the major that mm-hmm. you teach. Um, I, I believe that Jack might have been a minor, Michaela might have been a major, something along those kind of lines.
1: I think Jack was a double major in political science and ABD, and Michaela was definitely a major.
0: Right. So, um, I mean, there is no escaping in especially 2020. I mean, for a lot of people um, in 2020, um, after the, you know, George Floyd's death, uh, you know, a lot of the issues of black lives and of course, you know, ABD related sort of studies, have come to the forefront um and frankly welcome that's actually, everybody welcome <laughs> yeah that's frankly that's how that's actually how i found out about the work
1: oh okay okay good
0: um uh, and so i wanted to just get your take on when you say welcome everybody uh, <laughs> how, tell me more uh, you know it, it must be a a really interesting time for you.
1: 2020 is a wake up call for everybody who hasn't been paying attention. I mean, this is, this is, this is our country, right? So this has not been happening. This has been happening, you know, 1619. So, and I, I wish I was exaggerating, but I'm not really exaggerating to be talking about the kind of, 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 you know, waves of violence, you know, sometimes they're higher, sometimes they're lower, sometimes they're higher, sometimes they're lower. So, You know, the fact that now we're, you know, seeing this, you know, the only difference is video. The only difference is that you can take a picture of the violence now and that everybody has to confront the violence. Now, this has never not been happening. So I coincidentally just happened to have been, well, you know, spent the last... Uh, Michaela is actually um, I just made me think of this. Um, she's now working for the Equal Justice Initiative in uh, Montgomery. And I was working on um, an a, a academic journal asking me to write a review of the museum and the memorial. So and if, if you've never been down there, you know, forget the fact that it's a Montgomery, Alabama and go. It is. You know, forget the African American Museum in washington, d c. Go to see the Equal Justice Initiative. It's two hours from Atlanta, so you don't have to stay in Alabama if you don't want to. Um, but it was, you know, I mean, i I know this history. I'm not, you know, any stranger to the history of lynching, but it was unbelievable how much you know, just the argument that the museum makes about the connections between slavery, mass incarceration, kidnapping. I mean, it, it does a, the museum does a really good job of kind of pulling these things together. So, you know, 2020 isn't a surprise unless you didn't know about slavery, right? So if you knew that, then you can see the connections all the way through. So there's no reason not to know it, except just not wanting to know it. So, um, so I, you know, I, it's i say you know kind of cynically it's like welcome right now everybody's kind of catching on but this happens over and over and over again so you know i'm a historian so yes cycles again and again and again um so far you know you know last year the between the pandemic and you know all of this you know the the george floyd stuff it got really crazy really fast so it's kind of hard to see how things are shaking out for students Um, you know, the students who come in, I teach, you know, most of my classes have race in the title somewhere because, you know, that's kind of where I got fascinated and, you know, students come in, we've been having the same conversation, you know, seven, eight, nine years. We've never not been having the conversation about violence, about, you know, racism, however we want to have it. And so for those students coming into the, you know, for, uh, students of color coming into those classes, you know, they kind of breathe a sigh of relief. It's like, Oh, finally, we get to talk about this and not get looked at like, you know, why are you making it about race? You know, they finally have a place to, or just one class to be able to say, I thought I was crazy. I'm not crazy. This is really happening to me. So, you know, like I said, we'll see how it shakes out in, um, once we get back into the classroom and kind of see how, because this, this circumstance is so abnormal. It's kind of hard to see. I don't know for the capstone, how I'm going to have them address that yet. Um, I want to do something, but That you know, because I figured they're a lot of them are going to want to talk about it in some way. I'm thinking about using you know, there's a book, um, "The Condemnation of Blackness," by Khalil Gibran Muhammad, and it's about the kind of uh, criminalization of black bodies. From I think he goes back to the Jim Crow era. So I'm thinking about using that as a focal point, and then having them you know take some part of that and build you know build their project around that. I'm still on the fence about it. Ask your own questions. Right? If they have an idea, uh, this student I was talking to yesterday, she has an idea, and all we have to do is make her idea fit into that book, and you know, fit with some theme. And it's a book about you know African American. It's like you can't go wrong. There's no way to miss this. There's something there. So um, yeah, I have. I'm still working on how to you know how to work the capstone this quarter, given everything that's happening. So it's a work in progress so far.
0: I'm, I'm so fascinated by this because not only because of the subject matter and it matters even so it, 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 like you said, is being brought to the limelights today. And, Mm. you know, um, and it's, it's important. Like I have children and, and for whatever reasons, you know, it was not a topic of discussions in my household on a day-to-day basis,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? But yet, when this happened, when George Floyd, you know, and subsequent, you know, all these stuff is happening in the last few months, we are able to have a lot more conversations, and we went to a march, and we did, mm. you know, we we did we did so many. Like we are able to 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 feel like we we can, you know, it. To frankly, I feel very ignorant from before, mm-hmm. um, and probably a lot of people felt that way. So when you say welcome, I also take it as <laughs> a yes. We know it, that's great. Right. <laughs>
1: not calling you out. I'm not calling anybody. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: but I, I, I also wanted to sort of, you know, talk about it as um, a really interesting aspect of today's students, mm-hmm. and maybe it's a bit of but that sort of millennial, whatever we call the current generation is now, um, there is a certain amount of mission and passion driven people today that I felt like that when I was a kid, when I was going to college, I'm Asian, my parents were definitely, I went to an art school, by the way. Yeah. And they, then your parents
1: let you get away with that. That's, that's pretty. Well,
0: good. <laughs> let me tell you the trick. I went to study architecture.
1: Ah, okay, there you go.
0: They, I don't think they knew I went to an art school. They just, you know, they were saying, "Oh, you in architecture. That's great." And um, and they didn't know that I went to the artsiest architecture <laughs> school that there is. Um, yeah. But. But the but the interesting thing is that, um. You know, a lot of students today, I find, have have a lot more of this uh, sort of mission and passion-driven uh, lifestyle and expectations of themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's really great. Um, and more people are supporting them too, including yeah. parents and whatnot. One thing that I feel like they get sort of pushed back on. And I I really hope higher education can really help address this, is that there is this constant attack on why you don't need a liberal arts education, just go and get, like, you can study something that can lend you a job. And this was, and so, by the way, I didn't know where Michaela ended up uh, when I first contacted her. Because I just saw, I did find out after speaking to her, but when I first saw her work, I just thought this was great. Just the merit of the work itself is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as you know, as, as an artist, you know, I was looking at, I actually found it because I, um, I was looking for urban art. Oh, and, cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And her, her stuff just came up and, oh, cool. and, and some of it doesn't exist anymore in, in real world, right. It's been taken down. So she has some of that. And so, um, I just thought that's great, and and I just was so amazed after I spoke with her because I had knew nothing about her, and I just said this is great. It was just really almost like a a a, a moment of hey, this is great. Someone deserves you know the recognition. That's all, and I just thought I'd say congratulations. After speaking to her though, she told me about her, you know, after. After graduating, she has become a fellow at the Equal Justice Initiative. And for those maybe listeners who may not know, um, this is um, the uh, Brian Stevenson. Brian
1: Stevenson, right? yeah,
0: Brian Stevenson, who's the author of Just Mercy and also the, uh, the recent movie based yeah. on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's the you know he's the the person who. Uh, you know, he was a graduate of Harvard and, and ended up going to uh, Alabama uh, after graduation and set up a, a nonprofit to fight for um, people who've been wrongfully put on death row. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's how it started. And this is yeah, yeah, yeah. now, and he had successfully been able to um, get a, a pretty large number of people, um, you know, um, off of death row because... Right they were they were there wrongfully in the first place oftentimes yeah. based on race mm-hmm. um and and I thought and I looked at that and it's a very successful organization oh, and I yeah, looked at yeah. that and I said Michaela, you you, like you just landed like a literal dream job
1: you know and, yeah no, I was jealous when I thought
0: out. right <laughs> like, it's like I wanted that job. <laughs> job for so many people yeah um and um and uh and that really really contrasts the the people who knock on someone who's going to major in you know African studies and and the you know and the parent that immediately goes, "Well, how are you going to get a job right right, right. or you know people who majored in other liberal arts majors, especially you know philosophy, etc. how are you going to get a job on yeah. political science, you know? Um, and so I, I just find it to be not only fascinating, but a real testament to prov- the fact that, you know, they, they got the space to explore and play and ask questions and research. And then that turned into, um, And I don't want to say it's not necessarily that just that one portfolio that did it, but this space allowed them to turn that into a real profession, a successful one, one that is anyone could be proud of.
1: I mean uh, the the results of the results of liberal arts work of any kind aren't tangible. They're not supposed to be. (laughs) You're not supposed to be able to monetize your creativity. I guess that's probably, I I, I won't insult the artist out there by saying you can't monetize your creativity, but you know, that's not the point of doing it. You know, if you're really doing it right, you don't care where the money comes from. You don't care about that, but you know, that's a luxury, you know, that's a first word problem. That's a luxury that most people just don't have to think, you know, my students come in and it's like, I can't afford to do this class. I can do this one class and that's it. I have to Out of here, I got to be able to pay back my loans. I, you know, and it's a real, um, you know, it's a real problem, but it's a problem of our own making. We're the ones who, you know, the last 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years have been telling students that the only thing that they need to do is go to Harvard or Yale or RISD or Berkeley or whatever and get the job that gets them in finance. And I mean, we're the ones who um, reinforce that idea. So once it's baked into the system, so they're, you know, in high school, the competition is to get into, you know, the top 10 colleges. Once they get there, the competition is either to get into grad school or get that one big job. So there aren't many spaces where they get told, you know, don't think about that. And even if you do tell them that it's like, you're crazy. Of course, I'm thinking about, you know, how I'm you know, whether this grade is going to have this, this, you know, impact on me later. Of course they are. So it's kind of a, you know, I feel a little bad sometimes telling them it's like, don't worry about that because, They have to worry about that. So, you know, are there places, you know, to create just a little bit of space for them to say, okay, look, this class is, all you have to do is pass this class. I'll give everybody an A if we just relax and go crazy here. I mean, I don't say that because... (laughs) That's <laughs> malpractice yeah. if you say that. But I want them to have the feeling that it's okay to do that here, and to not worry about. And you know, when I when I push them on is skills, it's like you know you're going to forget the content here of every class. But if you learn to you know ask good questions, you know, um, and en- engage well, and um, communicate your ideas. So how well are you communicating? It doesn't matter what you're saying. If nobody can understand it, then you've wasted your time. So, you know, if we want to, if I, when I push skills on them, it's like reading, writing, thinking. So here's something you read. Can you explain it? Can you explain it without typos? Can you explain it so that somebody else understands it? So for me, it's just trying to walk the balance between making sure that their skills are strong enough so that, you know, when they leave, they have some more confidence and then then giving them the freedom to, you know, we're just gonna get in this big sandbox and we're just gonna play with these ideas. And, you know, maybe we'll get to, you know, some kind of theory. Maybe we'll get someplace that, you know, is sophisticated. Maybe we're just gonna have 10 weeks where we have a long conversation. And along the way, you write some stuff that I feedback and say, you really need to read, you know, you need to c- catch your typos. You need to, you know, and I catch all of that stuff for them. So it doesn't really balance, or maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, Um, but that's the way I resolve the problem, which is I'm going to give you the skills, but we're also going to, we're going to play.
0: This concludes part one of our conversation with Lori Pierce from DePaul University. To hear part two, be sure to subscribe to Digication Scholars Conversations on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Digication Scholars Conversations is brought to you by Digication a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com.
1: This episode was produced by Drew Albanetius. Thanks for listening.